Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Law, the Law Careers podcast for students at King's College London. I'm Caroline Lindner, one of the careers consultants for the Dixon Poon School of Law here at King's. And today I'm joined by a special guest who didn't actually study at King's, but if you had a checklist for someone with deep insight into what law firms are really like, then today's guest would tick most of them. I'm delighted to be joined by Graham Brown and let me tell you a little bit about him. Graham read law at Cambridge and turned down a place on the LLM at Harvard and decided to teach company law instead. He then did a training contract at Clifford Chance and joined Freshfields on Qualification, where he was at for 20 years, first as a fee-earning employment lawyer and then in-house. Alongside his legal role, he spent 17 years in a variety of HR roles at Freshfields, ending up as the global head of people performance and employee relations, with a particular focus on culture, crises and change in the years from the credit crunch to the fallout of Me Too. Along the way, Graham gained an MSc in organisation psychology and behaviour from Birkbeck with a dissertation on the experience of newly promoted partners. He now has a portfolio career spanning business coaching and training. He also set up and leads a team of experts that resolve tricky workplace problems, which has carried out almost 50 investigations into workplace behaviour in the last 12 months alone. Graham, thank you so much for coming on to our podcast and joining me today. Thank you very much for having me along, Caroline. So let's talk about your current role. Uh, briefly tell us what it actually entails. It's really varied, but it's a mix of three things. Uh, the first thing is coaching. So for the last two, two and a half years, I've been a formally qualified coach, although I've kind of coached for years and years. Um, I do a mixed bag. So people in the NHS, managers there, um, the amazing pressures they've been under the last couple of years. You know, it could be an entrepreneur thinking about what direction do I want to go, uh, a leader grappling with change, or someone who's experiencing some some challenging behaviours in the workplace. It could could be any industry or anything. So that's one thing. Secondly, when I left Freshfields, I wanted to set up uh, a team that did things differently, a team of um, deeply experienced experts who could come in and sort out problems before the lawyers were the, the really only option. So we we do that. Um, and to get in the team, you have to have high emotional intelligence. Life is too short, I think, to work with people who are unkind or um, lack that. So so that's in the mix. Um, so, so we're pretty busy, as you've said. And the final thing I do uh, is train. So if we can stop problems arising in the first place because people know what they're doing and how to do it, yeah, that's the best win for everyone. So I do a lot of that. So this morning, three and a half hours, uh, sexual harassment training, people from Jordan, Malaysia, India, UK, um, all, all talking about you know, what really, really matters on the ground to people. Uh, so yeah, that's my, my varied and happy work life you studied law at university then you went down the training contract route so what factors motivated you to to do that law degree and then to decide to train as a solicitor so if i put my mind back to where i was i was doing a levels in maths physics and english lit and i knew i wasn't going to take them any further uh, but there was bits of all of them i quite liked mm. so my head was telling me okay so Maths, I like the precision. There's a right answer. That's good news. I like the wordplay. 
of, of the English and the problem solving bit of physics. So I put a, put a melting pot and law popped out. That was the head bit, but there was a huge heart bit for me in that. Um, I had through various life experiences, uh, a real interest in fairness mm. and really how authority was used, the power that people had. And I just thought actually law and and me, there's a mix there. I quite I quite like the fact there's this there's this idea of people being held to account in some mm. way. So I was driven for those two reasons. My school didn't support me. My school right. said no, but I'm pretty driven and it kind of spurred me on. And that's what took me to, to uni. And then the training contract piece, um naturally my disposition was barrister but too high risk no no background in law no financial mm. backing no nothing um so it seemed like the safe option for me um i had a, i had a bit of a confidence shortfall i saw a lot of people walking around who seemed to have bags of confidence i thought that kind of came with the deal mm. uh, so so i i went for it and um chose clifford chance because they seemed to know me the best um i applied for 50 training contracts um, right. I didn't know which firm I wanted, and it was really revealing. I got very good at interviewing, but also the cultures started showing up really vividly. They were quite different, these places, and um, Clifford Chance felt like it was me. Mm. Uh, so, that, so that's what took me that, in that direction. Yeah, okay, that's really interesting. And at that early stage, the culture was obviously speaking to you, which I know many of our students um, would, would identify with that. So you practiced for over 20 years as an employment lawyer, and maybe you've already touched upon this, but what attracted you to this area of law in particular? I didn't have a plan for that. Like a lot of people in training contracts, you just get your seats. Mm. <laughs> and and I was lucky um, with employment law. And it was, a, I knew day one, it was me. And I can- right. I can that imagine, early? I knew day one. Um, yeah. The big decisions in my career, it's normally day one. It, I feel it. Um, so with employment law, it was it was this combination. People, I've always, always been good with people, always been able to read it, read people's situations, help. They've always come for advice and support. So that was obvious. As an area of law, it's quite interesting. Mm. But it really mattered. And, and I think that's the thing through my career. It's not about work. This stuff is about people's lives. You spend so much time at work. So much of people's identity is wrapped up in work. And when you're talking about the kind of issues that cross the employment lawyer's desk or definitely HRER, yeah, these are the things people never, ever forget. So it really felt like it mattered. And so I clicked and, and that was it. I knew, I knew. And when I said in the introduction about your background that you worked as a fee-earning employment lawyer and, and in-house, was the in-house part of it that you were advising fresh builds on employment issues they were facing as an employer? So what happened there was um, I left Clifford Chance on qualification and I interviewed anywhere that had an employment position. So I mm. interviewed at Freshfields and two other law firms. And my policy was be honest. And that, that's a bit of advice I give to anyone. Um, be honest for who you are. You may not get as many offers, but at least you're going to get offers where you know, you're not mis-selling to them and end up unhappy. So um, one of those other Magic Circle firms said, no, thanks. Freshfield said, yes, please. And it was a very explicit conversation. I, th I said, I think I think it's absolute madness the way that um, this all works. 
you know, my training contracts have been quite quite a bumpy ride from that. I'd, I'd learned a lot about the realities of work mm-hmm. and how the city worked. And, and they said, yeah, we've heard all that and we'd like you to join. So I had this kind of strong bond of honesty yeah. with Freshfields from the start. Um, but I wanted to be a rounded lawyer. And at that time, they didn't have a contentious employment practice. So the only way to get any of that work was to to do it for Freshfields. So I always had this relationship with HR because um, the HR director had interviewed me. So I always, always had that. Um, so even in the two and a half years where I was fee earning, I had my Freshfields work. Mm-hmm. And then when I eventually made the move into HR, obviously things expanded in a big way and I, and I had these multiple hats. But yeah, it's always, always part of the mix. Yeah, really interesting. And certainly from my background working in law firms, that has been my experience of, of employment departments. So that's that's very interesting. If you had your time over, would you choose that training contract route again? That is a brilliant question. Um, I think yes, because I really, really love what I do. It's like this, this is me to a mm. team how how do you get to doing what i do if you didn't take the route i took to get here yeah yeah it's this mix it's the problem solving on the employment side it's the psychology side it's it's the hr side the generalist piece the specialist piece it's it's the training piece the the exposure on on inclusion and diversity you can't get it any other way. And one of the big drivers for my my decision to switch in-house and to HR was, you know the difference when you're talking to someone who is doing it from a textbook and an ivory tower or someone who's actually done it. And mm. sad to say, there's a lot of employment lawyers, they've never done what they talk about and they make it sound so, so easy. There is all the difference in the world advising on how to do performance management, do a restructure, do whatever, and actually sitting down with someone, looking him in the eye and doing it. There's all the difference in the world between advising leaders on what to do and being the one who's accountable for the outcomes Mm. where you're exposed, you're sitting in the client. I wanted that because my skill set was broader than just advising. I was sitting there as a junior either piping up or wanting to pipe up and say why are we doing this yeah i'm only brought in as a hide hand right at the end when it's all gone messy we should never have been here if yeah. you had x y z thing we wouldn't be here or what is it that's going on with your culture or what is it what's the development that you need to to make sure that this doesn't happen again those are all the things that go around my head unless you get into hr nobody inter- nobody's interested in that from their lawyer at like x hundred pounds an hour um, so so loads of things so which is not to say it's not challenging i mean yeah. demands are really high i did more all-nighters when i was on business services side resources harder to come by mm. um to do things uh, yeah. how you're seen people suddenly see you in a really different way and suspicious it was when you drop most people in their careers they don't drop their status they build mm. their status you go from a partner track fee earner into HR in in many, many ways, you're giving up status. And that's that's not a bad thing. No. It's a rare thing. And and also 
HR people can look at you and think, who on earth do you think you are coming mm -hmm. in to do this? So there was, I mean, I learned a load, um, but I had great opportunities. There was there was greenfield sites in, in terms of mental health, in terms of inclusion, diversity, and making most of all of that. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a complex answer, but I wouldn't yeah. change it. And it's interesting about that. I mean, again, I've experienced it from the professional services side of a law firm, not being a lawyer myself, but knowing very much there is that divide. And I think I hope that's changed a lot. But this whole term non-lawyer actually doesn't help. And it still does exist, I think, in law firms. And I can see you're smiling. So you agree with me on that. But it's, a, you know, what does a non-lawyer and a lawyer mean when you're all working in the same business? It, there shouldn't be that division. Everyone has their role to play. So you, you moved away from fee earning quite early in your career. But and I'm just interested to know, how did that come about? Um, how do you go about having a conversation with presumably a partner to say, actually, I, I, I'm done with the fee earning side of things. I, I want to move and, and do something a bit different. What, what happened? So again, I knew from pretty much day one, this is not going to be me long term. Mm. Why? A whole bunch of reasons. Um, it was about people, but it wasn't actually with people. So, so that was an issue. Role models. I didn't see any. I saw I saw people who didn't look particularly happy working far, far too long, outsourcing massive chunks of their lives. I did not want to outsource. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be present as a as a husband and yet someday as a dad. I couldn't see a way to make it work. This shows how naive I was at the time. I thought, great, office hours start 9:30. I'm gonna turn up a couple of hours early, get a couple of hours in on the clock, <laughs> come six o'clock, bye bye. I've done my bit because I thought, you know, it's all objective. It's all data. I've done my, no way. It's mm. all about impression. So all I found was I was in this massive pie eating contest mm. of work where I was eating a lot of pie. And the reward for that was more pie to eat and saying, it seems to us you've got more capacity. So have, have some more pie. So the more I work, the more efficiently I work, the more it came back on me. Yeah. I got married. The year after that, for the entire year, I was on a huge demerger, Hewlett Packard's float. Mm -hmm. Barely, barely saw my wife. Mm -hmm. I remember you know, one Sunday afternoon fulfilling a promise that did not have, have to be made to a partner, thinking, if this is success, I'm out. Mm -hmm. So I flagged it. And they said, you know, they were nice about it. They said, you know, in time, you'll look back and you'll see it differently and things are going great and all the rest of that. Whereas 20 years later, I'm still looking back on it. Don't regret it. You mm. just have to be true to yourself um, yeah. and, and forge your, your own path, not, not worry too much. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I talk a lot with students at the moment about keeping to your own lane, um, which I think is a, a similar sort of uh, approach there. Um, let's talk about cultural change. We've touched upon it a little bit, and it's something I'm very personally interested in as well. Uh, and you, you developed that expertise really after the credit crunch, which was 2009-2010. Tell us a little bit more about that, but also why it was required to start looking at culture and cultural change so much, not just within the legal sector, but generally within business at that particular time. I had just finished my master's and that had obviously a big chunk about culture in it. And had the credit crunch not happened, I'd have probably made a career switch at that point more into culture and training but the credit credit crunch came everything went into shock yeah. and 
it became a fear-based environment across the city. Big decisions had to be made, and it was kind of eyes on me for the strategy on the people side. How do we navigate this in a way that maintains engagement? You know, the easiest thing to do is to say we're going to sack a load of people. Not, not smart. So I noticed that and became really interested in the shifts I started seeing. So the whole credit crunch from a point, one point of view was a cultural event mm. in that what was happening in the banks, the risks they were running were because culture wasn't right. And if you look at what the regulators done there since, yeah, it all makes sense. In the legal world, slow to catch up. The client, the client isn't going to pay anymore. What are, what are we going to do? I ran a program called Law of the Future at that point, looking 10, 12 years ahead. Culture was all over it. And to your point, the relationship between all elements of the firm. Yeah, you can't run a successful business where you think only half of people matter. Mm. Um, and yeah, lawyers can, can get a little bit of that. They get pumped from a really early age about you're so special. And if, if somebody was as special as you, they'd be being a lawyer too, right? Mm. Really dangerous messages. So I realized we were going to compete on culture. We were going to compete on the quality of our leadership and people management skills, which comes in on day one as a trainee, by the way because mm. you have paralegals and other people who look up to you and the quality of business services. What's the glue? It's the culture. And you, everyone gets the culture. The only question is, have you planned it? Are you managing it skillfully or not? So there was this shift. And of course, you know, in a time of change, opportunities for good things, opportunities for bad things. Started to notice characters trying to get into the firm you should not get into the firm. Mm -hmm. So I put in place, you know, things around who gets in, who gets out. That was very interesting. A real pressure on stars. And the mm -hmm. minute you go into a star culture, of course, you're in the risk of stars get leniency around mm -hmm. things they shouldn't do. So making sure we had an eye on that. Yeah, there was so much going on. So, yeah, my shift, my, my focus shifted to that. And then, bam, you know, me too. You know, an event that has not been properly understood yet. Mm. You know, what happened there, it's not about actresses. It's about workplace behavior. Most of the people who complained, the over 100 women, it was bullying plus. It was about people who thought, I'm above the rules. I make the rules. I can break the rules. Somebody can carry the can for me on this. I can get away with anything. Now, I'm not saying that's all over the law, but that kind of thinking around, I'm a partner now, or I, I am a, on partnership track now, or I'm in business services and I've got the protection of partner X now. You give someone power, it's a real test. It's a real mm. repeater. The only other one that's like it is if you give someone feedback, see how they react. So I became really, really interested in that side of things as well. Me too. Yeah, the accountability goes right to the top now. Um, we see that all over. And with Black Lives Matter coming in, you know, another generation's opportunity to do what hasn't been achieved before. Look at the structural stuff. And we're going to come on to this, I know, in a bit. You know, it's a really interesting time. You know, a lot of big words are being bandied around about what organizations are going to do. Filtering out 
what have we all heard before but they haven't done what's tokenism what's real yeah that that's kind of where where i am at and where my work is at so so yeah culture is all over this i know the students listening to this will, will be very you know looking at organizations and thinking will i fit in there are the role models there um are they going to look after me um you know plus are they going to give me a good a good experience of working so it's a very live issue that people are very keen to differentiate employers on um you talked about black lives matter there we touched upon it and i wanted to ask you about the work you had did with the stephen lawrence charitable trust mm. um so you were involved in setting up um, the scholarship program which is running to this day i saw an advertisement for it the other day which went out to our law students and it's all around helping to increase diversity in law. So really keen to understand how that came about and, and what, what you got involved with. So my background, my dad, working class Londoner, um, teacher, I'd always been brought up in this atmosphere at home about um, opportunity for people who you know, it wasn't served up on a plate for mm. them. All of this is in my head. And, yeah. and when I go into HR, nobody's doing diversity, so I can move into that space. So, mm -hmm. you know, set up the monitoring. Um, 2003, did the first training on inclusion up for an FT award. You know, for years and years, working Tower Hamlets, you know, all of that stuff. So, so I think when a small group of us um, got together, an opportunity had come up to work with Stephen Lawrence Foundation. Stephen Lawrence I was going to be an architect, a professional. And uh, Doreen Lawrence and, and, the, and the trust wanted to expand into other professions. So they partnered with Freshfields, but this was deep stuff. So you, what you need if you're going into an, an area that's completely alien, just like it had been alien to me, is a long time of socialization. So focus on second year um, disadvantaged black students. Uh, letter goes out to everyone, um, all the universities. Who have you got? And so we had this massive assessment a couple of days. We met them. Fantastic, incredible people. And then we chose uh, six. And we worked with them for a year. And yeah, there was a financial element, but mostly it was opportunity, right? So yeah, they got to work with a couple of our very well-known clients. They came in four times for a few days. They had time with all kinds of people. They had a mentor. You know, all the year they could phone up, you know, how do you navigate this crazy world? And I'd, and I'd learned everything by bumping into the furniture, like everything. Mm -hmm. So I, my part of this was what I called um, the professional you. A series of modules to say, this is where you are now. Session one, um, what does it take to survive? I.e. don't blow up before you even start. What are the rules of the game you are in? Yeah. And then thriving. How are you, how are you going to navigate this? my brief it was not to say come and join freshfields it wasn't even to say come and be a lawyer it was to say come and figure figure some stuff out so we did things like you know, values work strengths work you know, what is it what does it mean it's not just about the job it's about the lifestyle let's get our heads around what we what you want to do you know, we talked about all kinds of things it, it was it was amazing and um yeah, I did that for seven years till till I left Freshfields. I'm, uh, it's fantastic. It's it's still going. Um, but yeah, yeah, and and seeing those some of those uh, guys' careers, how they're going. But I'd also say 
it's not an all or nothing thing that program yeah the people who didn't get on the program have gone on to incredible things and yeah. particularly one and i might talk about him later mm. on um you know there is just so much talent there that yeah it can be like a glass wall trying to climb into one of these organizations i remember it when i started there was this conversation going on between a partner and an, and an associate around cars and they had a car magazine and they were saying yeah anyone who owns a jaguar you know what an idiot you know look down and i'm thinking if i pipe up and say i've been driven around in clapped out old bangers my mm. whole life what are you going to make of me and then mm. the conversation goes to skiing and all of that and it's like i haven't been skiing i never even went to a restaurant till i was 16. you know i can't i can't get in this conversation a lot of the stuff that's difficult we're trying to address it it's not intentional maybe signaling out to exclude and it's their reality it's their life and they can talk about their life it's just that awareness of like i'm in a suit you can't tell my background yeah i can talk politely yeah uh, with a with a pretty neutral southern accent whatever but inside i'm, I'm crawling right mm. so yeah so it's to address some of this side of, of things it's about inclusion isn't it so we talk about equality diversity and inclusion but for me inclusion has always been the key word i think and and it has become such a key issue for many organizations i know you've already touched upon this it's a very it's very important to you in your opinion graham what needs to happen with the, within organizations to benefit from difference and to yeah. retain because the attraction piece i think has got a lot better but the retention piece is the key issue that i have certainly picked up upon yeah you're so right yeah you can go out and recruit anyone and tell them a load of messages and they'll say fantastic and yeah a lot of the a lot of the kind of organizations that the good folk listening to this want to go to you know very attractive money mm. status they're saying we want you yeah keeping people is a whole different ball game and that's the inclusion piece for inclusion my starting point is this everyone is included as long as you're not dangerous and i'll come back to that and that's part of my my brief and my background as employee relations some people unfortunately are mm -hmm. um and uh, and yeah when we think about inclusion we have to think really broadly about this it's not just about yeah, there's a number of protected categories and clients are interested in x or y and for a long time and maybe still now the diversity agenda is in my opinion been far too driven by this is what like clients say we want more women where are the women partners okay so let's put a load of women onto pitches and you know all of that kind of stuff and then oh um lgbt okay now we'll do we'll go we'll go there ah um now now it's in a black lives matter direction so we're going to go yeah this is this is long-term cultural change you can't mm. just change gears like this that inclusion point if we break it down there is a structural element to this the really deep bit what is it that makes it hard to stay if you look at it top down it's things like career structure if you set out as an organization on a model that requires people to work 10 12 14 16 18 20 24 36 you know, hours straight there's going to be a lot of people who are going to struggle 
with that. What's the solution? You know, do you just go out there and find people who are willing to make those sacrifices and say, suck it up? Or do you do something else? What about up or out? Yeah, it's been a long time since I've trawled law firms' websites, but I don't remember seeing much in the way of up or out being talked about. The model works on people get to a level, but they can't stay there. They've got to progress. What does that mean? What does that mean if you want, need, choose to stay at a level? Can you do that? Or are you going to be looked at differently? Can you even do it? I don't know. You know there's all, all of that. Then we have kind of, if you like, the easier PR grabbing kind of stuff. And I'm not saying there isn't a place for it. I'm not saying it's not important. And I know there's lots and lots of good intention in that, but it, it only gets you so far. And the real danger is mis-selling. One of the big issues, and this comes up in my coaching, this, this comes up when I do my training, it comes up all the time, is that people feel led up the garden path about what organization they're training. You've wooed them in, mm. but it ain't like it on the ground. Now, a lot of that, in fact, 99% of it is not about, you know, I'm not interested in you because of some, some attribute about you. What's driving it is about how people value people. You know, this sense of, okay, so you're on my job, so, so the charm comes on and we'll work really closely. I finish the job, I don't talk to you anymore. If I pass you in the corridor, I don't acknowledge you. you know, now that's not aimed at anyone, but that happens. Or I've got my team of associates or my, my team um, of people who I connect with easily, so they're the ones. So what then happens? Who gets the work? The team. At the end of, of the deal, who goes out for the, the major jolly and who gets left behind? Here's, a, here's an example somebody once gave me. They're working in their department. It's the, it's the big party. They're about to go. They have a Cinderella moment. They go back to their desk. A big pile of documents has appeared from a partner that they've never worked with saying, do this by tomorrow morning. So partner and in-group go off to the party. Person I'm talking to works all night. You know, Now, none of that would necessarily be targeted on any, any particular individual, but you know, if that if that lands on you and you, you know, you're seeing that through the lens of you know, gender, race, sex orientation, whatever you think, I'm I'm not in here. Um, same as same as the business services piece. It's not none of this is intentional. No, it's something in this model of of who's in, who's out, who counts, who doesn't, and it's micro. So, you know. That words and deeds point is the key. I see a lot of words. I've, I've seen them for years. You, know, you can only tell if you're a savvy student, and you can tell, and we'll talk about that um, in a moment. But um, you can, it's never been easier to get behind what's going on in organizations. Um, the other thing I'd say is fear. There is a lot of fear. Yeah, in law firms, because what you're dealing with is high stakes. If yeah. you mess it up, you know, miss the deadline, bad consequences. You've got a regulator breathing down your neck about any kind of lack of integrity. Partners, you know, they need work done. Clients very demanding. Lots to be feared about. But also in ourselves, yeah, lawyers, let's be honest, we come with a lot of fear of, of failure. Mm -hmm. 
we come from a lot of fear of being exposed as not knowing the answers. Yeah, we come with, with human fear of, of difference and mucking stuff up. When I do training to lawyers, it's really different to all other sectors. Really? It Interesting. It totally is. When we talk about if something goes wrong, if you've upset someone, what do you do? What do you, you know, if someone's upset you, what do you want? The answer's all the same around the world. I want an apology and them to genuinely apologize and change. That's all I want. Lawyers are much more likely to struggle with that one because they see all these risks coming up. You know, am I, am I admitting a liability? Most people, yeah. normal human beings don't think like that. Lawyers do. You know, all these things come up. You know, my self-concept of being perfect or whatever it is, it all comes into inclusion because yeah. you know we need to be forgiving of each other. We need to accept that this is messy, this is difficult, this is change. You know, we're not going to get it right, but can we just be open about, about things? You know, but it becomes really difficult in the sort of power dynamic that you find in a law firm and what we're like as lawyers too. So, I mean, there's a, an awful lot. Psychological safety is a buzzword. It's absolutely key. Yeah, you come in and feel safe at work to, to, to be to be yourself. Do you feel valued? Do you feel heard? Do you feel that other people are heard and you're not heard? You know, all of that is absolutely, absolutely critical to inclusion in the if you get inclusion right in the broadest sense, you're going to get it right in the sort of narrow diversity sense mm. as well. You mentioned the fact you're a coach um, on a number of occasions and uh, you know, I think it would be useful for our listeners to understand from you what, what you would say to someone who's struggling with the realities of their chosen career. Well, as a as a classic coach, you'd say, hmm, how are you feeling? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? What do you think? What do you but the reality is, you know, what I want to say to anyone just informed by by life and and experience with coaches and everything, yeah, everyone struggles at different times yeah nobody gets through their career scot free from that and it's good if you face into it the people who do less well are the ones who battle on you know struggling for years there's a there's a quote i once heard um lawyers toil on the verge of depression just like peace workers used to toil on the edge of starvation. Now that's that's extreme, mm. and I'm not saying that is true for everyone, of course. But for the people I come across where the wheels have come off, that is often the case. So great, we're talking. You're struggling. You're in the right place. Mm. Then I think it's about identifying what the problem is. I'm spending some real time on that because if you get the problem wrong, then you're just perpetuating it. So what what is it? What's really going on? And what I'm thinking about is two things. There's the outer world. You know, I'm going to hear about, you know, typically you'll hear about, um, I've lost my way. Mm. I've lost some connection to who I truly am. And law firms can be tough, right? You know, they're environments where to build and sustain confidence, it can be tough because a lot of people are trained around you to to see the fault, to see Mm. the problem. That's what makes them a good lawyer, right? 
Yeah. It can be tough on confidence. So it could be something around that. It could be something around the environment I'm in. Now, that could be a general environment. Doesn't feel like me. Issues with colleagues. Very commonly, it's an issue with an individual. Livable balance. Yeah, I'm giving, I'm just, I'm just a machine. Yeah. Just a, I'm a human doing. I'm not longer a human being mm. anymore. What happened there? All of that. And then there's the other side, which is what's going on inside you. What's your role in all of that? And, you know, that, that can be very interesting. For some people, very challenging to open up. But we've all got stuff going on in us that can add to this problem whatever your problem is now yeah i hate one of my pet peeves is is the expression imposter syndrome Mm. there is no such thing as imposter syndrome there is imposter experience which is something that's kind of universal where it becomes a problem is where there's a self-esteem issue going on Um, and again a lot of people in law firms they've driven hard trying to fill some gap or need in themselves through work or uh, the approval of others or you know, perfection or any of that yeah that's coming from somewhere we might talk about about that um occasionally you find people with the other other problem of course which is tall poppy syndrome so again i'm not saying it's a syndrome it's an experience mm. it is where you know you put your head above the parapet you know and you get a whole range of passive aggressive behaviors coming mm. back at you. Yeah, ouch, you know, this success is coming at a cost. What's that about? You know, we might have to talk about that. And again, what's going on for you in that? So, so we go through all of that. It can take time, but the work is so worth it. You know, going up a career ladder that is against the wrong wall, however much you've invested your time in it, Take stock. I worked at many, many fresh fields. Every yes. time I changed a boss, every time I changed a role, you know, it, I never thought I was going to stay. I was always thinking, um, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, oh, well, stay for this. <laughs> so, mm. You know, but moving is not a problem. And in fact, the, the research shows the people who move, uh, if money is what you're about, you're going to earn more money. So just freeing up, you know, if there's thinking that's limiting you, Let's just open things up. What are the possibilities here? Let's just reconnect with who you are, what matters. Do you need to navigate a situation that's tricky? I mean, we talk about tricky situations. Can I share a story? Yes, please do. So um, the NHS, we all love the NHS. The NHS is amazing, full of wonderful people doing wonderful stuff. But there's another side to the NHS. It's not always that functional. So one of my um, clients this year worked in the NHS as a manager. During COVID, we'd like to comfort ourselves that everybody in the NHS is on board with this massive crisis. Not so. There's a group, a large group of consultants who were behaving very, very badly Mm. about why do I have to do any of this? What about us? Yeah, they weren't in the center of COVID and it was coming down hard on my client, um, helping her see that, reframe that, you know, look at what power she have, has. We all give away our power 
far too easily. <laughs> you know, you've got choice, you've got power. Getting back on track didn't take long, but checking in like that, so, so brilliant. So I'm all for coaching. You know, go to them, talk about it. Don't, don't battle on if it's getting you down. You know, you may feel alone, you're not alone. Other people have walked this path. You know, there's loads of people who've gone on to other things. That story I was going to tell you about the person who didn't get onto mm. the Stephen Lawrence thing. So given my background, I often got the job of giving people the bad news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, being there. No, that so <laughs> I sat down with him. I, I thought he was absolutely fabulous. I'd have had him on, but that wasn't the decision. In our careers, we can often think, if I don't get the seat I want, if I don't get the firm I want, if I don't get this I want, it's a disaster. That is not the case. Yeah, he has gone on to the most incredible career in the civil service. Everything that shined through from him in, in that process 10 years ago, you know, is coming to fruition. Path not taken. Just just take the do the best in the moment you are and just take pressure off yourself as you go through life. Um, it, it doesn't matter. Most things do not matter. Our health matters. Our friends and family matter. You know, who we become matters. Those things matter. You know, other, th other things less so. Yeah. Um, it, it's very rare to find someone with 360 experience of law firms. And you have been, I know, in the tough moments in people's careers. So mm. performance issues, redundancies, crises, bad behaviours. What have you learned? A core skill that we all need is to identify that kryptonite when it comes, okay? Hard times, they come to us all, all right? And it's not about bad people up to bad things, 99% of the time. But there is a skill set. It isn't taught in schools. It's not taught in universities. Employers won't teach it to you. When, when you are having an issue, what do you do? How do you, if you're going to raise it, how do you raise it? If you're going to deal with it a different way, how do you do it? How do you manage yourself through that? I think there's a lot, there's a lot in that space. Mm -hmm. um, you know, life's a multiple choice game. Decision making as we go. I've learned that. You know, the, the hard stuff that happens is because people have made a mistake normally they didn't realize something i could count literally on one hand the number of people who genuinely i believe were up to no good yeah. that i've come across okay most people are up to up to good their intentions are good yeah. it, so how do you avoid becoming one of those people where it goes wrong you know that that's the key thing and my piece of one advice is be really really good at taking feedback folks you know, it doesn't kill you to hear something about yourself. You might not agree with it, but the most dangerous people and the leaders who fail, and the research backs me up on this, mm. they've got a couple of attributes. They are, they've got low self-awareness. Mm -hmm. Second attribute, they don't care. Mm. Take it or leave it. I'm me. Suck it up. 
they have capped themselves and the world is moving so fast against those people it is untrue yeah but it goes sometimes in that dna even when we're training even when we're studying you know facing into things we don't like to hear about ourselves can we do it it's so it's so important that we can do that and don't go all defensive on the attack just because we've heard something we didn't like i've, I've those are the those are the major things i've mm. learned oh the other thing i'd say is um if whatever you're doing is coming at the cost of your mental health it ain't worth it mm. it is just not worth it yes i i very much agree with that, Graham. Uh, and you may well have already said this, but final final thoughts in terms of advice that you have for our students who are, at, some of them, at the very earliest stages of their careers. Others are thinking, where do I go to next? What's your advice for them? Yeah, a few bits. The first, in the words of Elvis, don't be cruel. Mm. Think broadly about what you are doing. You know, tactics that lawyers use can be cruel to the individual lawyer on the other side and the client and the planet you know think about who you want to be you know who we are is how we're going to lead you know it's how we're remembered you know that matters so i would set that off you know don't be cruel secondly if you've done your contract, I think it's caveat emptor, which I used to think was the cave is empty, but it's not. I think it's something like buyer beware, right? As you go into the market, people are selling to you, selling hard, okay? Be a savvy buyer. It's never been easier to get good information about the places that are selling um, Caroline, you might remember this. In the early 90s, there was an advert for the army. It was mm. called Frank. Mm. You might find it on YouTube. I used to use it with the Stephen Lawrence guys. If you can find it, look at it. What, what is the army about? It's about um, fighting. But let's be honest about what it's about. You watch that advert. It's like the ultimate stag weekend. I couldn't believe it when I saw it back in the day. Mm. Law firms can be like that. Yeah, they're selling you some very powerful messages sometimes about, you know, psychologically, you want to be the best. Go to the best. Be the best. Yeah, if you don't come here, you're probably not the best. Um, opportunities, glamour, money, all the rest of it. Let's just come back to basics. What is the job you are going to do? Yeah. How are you spending your time? Yeah, I've got a glamorous story for you. I reviewed Julia Roberts's contract. Right. How glamorous is that? <laughs> that was the most tedious document <laughs> you could ever imagine. When was I doing it? About 3 a.m. on a Friday, Saturday night. Okay. It ain't glamorous. You know, maybe there are things that are glamorous. Maybe you love, you know, structured finance. Maybe you love um, medium term note issues. Maybe you love real estate deals i'm not saying you don't but you know be real about what you are getting into speak mm. to people think for yourself mm. it's not do i want this job it's do i want this life it's the whole package it's not just the job there's a lifestyle attached 
Look at look at the whole thing. That's what I would say. Think for yourself. Think for yourself. I think that's a great final piece of advice, Graham. And we, we do need to leave it there, I'm afraid. But before I let you go, I, I do want to remind our listeners that we'll be back soon with a, a new episode of Let's Talk Law. Um, but in the meantime, and on behalf of our listeners, Graham, thank you so much for being our special guest um, and for coming to speak to us about a whole range of such important topics um, for people to realise that they are important and why they're important, but also to consider why they are going through what I can think is a very noisy and stressful period when you are looking for what's the right path for me? Am I going to be good at it? How do I convince someone else I'm going to be good at it? Um, it's been wonderful chatting with you. Thank you so much, Graham. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Caroline. Take care and uh, thank you for listening.